All right, if you have a Bible, open to the Gospel of Mark. We continue on this morning in our study in the Gospel of Mark. We're in Mark chapter 13. And in your Red Pew Bibles, that's page 849. Our text this morning is Mark 13, verses 5 through 23, but we're just going to read the second half of that. So find verse 14 with me and read along, and then Pastor Albert will come and sort of fill in the rest for us. So again, starting in verse 14, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take this cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been seen, has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, school has started for everyone, and so... My kids are bringing back all the germs, so uh, I'm a little congested. But my, my third one, um, she was the one that was sick, and so I was taking care of her, and you know, I bring her into my bed because she can't sleep, and she's sweaty and everything, and then she's just coughing right in my face. And I fought it off for like two, three weeks, but then it got the best of me. But this is why I have four children. Um, she's the only one taking care of me right now. Um, all, my, all my other ones are just whatever, but she's the one that comes to me in the morning and offers me a cough drop or something. So um, I played the odds all right, and uh, at least I have one. So good for nothing, kid. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you for your word, and ask God that um, you would open it up to us, that you would uh, challenge us. Uh, I'm not so arrogant to think that I am the only interpretation or the only interpreter that can get this right. And so, Holy Spirit, God, your word is infallible, even though we are fallible people. And so we ask that you would speak to it, that you would minister to the people's hearts here. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, there have been a ton of predictions as to the end of the world and when that would happen. Um, it, it hasn't quite happened yet. Um, Yesterday, I thought it was happening. It was pretty, pretty hard. But <clears throat> the thoughts about the end of the world are just a quite prevailing thought, aren't they? I mean, if you just look at what movies are coming out and what TV shows are the most popular ones, and um, Walking Dead is going to be starting up soon. So, you know, um, the books that are out there, uh, all this sort of stuff. You know, my daughter's reading, like, the Divergent series, and she's going through that stuff. And, and it's just all over the place. And so when we're looking at the Bible, or even when we're thinking about Christians, um, we, we're not crazy. 
Like this, this is something that everyone's thinking about. It's on everybody's mind. But this is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Yet, that hasn't stopped people from trying to predict the return of Christ. Christ will return, Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Last week we spoke of the essentials and the non-essentials of our Christian faith. The return of Jesus is an essential of our faith, but when and how are not. Those are open-handed issues, the when and the how. Now, to, to kind of take a closer look at what uh, was valued or what, what was really thought about highly, let's, let's look to Jesus' closest disciples and what they wrote about the end time. So let's take a look at what John and Peter wrote. Let's first take a look at what John wrote. First John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. John wrote this quite matter-of-factly. This was not some sort of theory he was writing up. And Peter, another one of Jesus' closest disciples, wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, through now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that, ch- that perishes through it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So John and Peter wrote their respective letters after the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. It wasn't until after they witnessed all those world-changing events that they were able to see things more clearly. Before these events, they asked questions like in Mark chapter 13, verse 4, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? See, we don't know when, and we don't even really know how. How is debatable. But we know that he is returning for us. Now, there are some who even debate his return for us. But we really cannot come to that conclusion unless we just take out several huge chunks of the Bible and just disregard them entirely. The reason Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked Jesus this question was because they couldn't imagine, just as other Jews couldn't imagine, the return of Jesus without the existence of the temple. And we talked about that last week. But Jesus himself doesn't know when his return will be. And rather than Jesus going into when, Jesus has some very practical words for his disciples. Starting in verse 5, Jesus began to say to them, See that no one 
leads you astray. Why did Jesus begin with that? See that no one leads you astray. Because it's going to happen. There's a possibility for that really happening. So he says that. Jesus wouldn't have given that warning if there was no chance of that happening. So there are a lot of things that can lead us astray. Disregarding the Bible definitely can lead us astray. Isolating ourselves from the fellowship of believers, one can be led astray. There are many things that can lead us astray. And it happened to Jesus' own disciple in Judas. It can surely happen to us, couldn't it? If it happened to Jesus' very own Verse 6, many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. There have been many false Christs. There have been many false prophets throughout history. Jewish and Roman historians have recorded many who have come claiming to be Messiah before Jesus, during Jesus, time after Jesus. These, these false Christs, these false prophets will lead many people astray. There are many people caught up with the end times, the eschatology. And, and Jesus gave clear instruction about this. See that no one leads you astray. Why? Because many will be led astray. Large numbers. And large numbers don't mean that something is right or true. The majority doesn't rule when it is false. It's still false, even though a lot of people believe it. They will lead many astray. Verse 7, And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of birth pains. Jesus said, See that no one leads you astray. And secondly, do not be alarmed. Do not be led astray because many will be led astray. And do not be alarmed because there are reasons to be alarmed. These are very, very practical words from Jesus. When there are rumors of wars and there are wars, it is a reason to be alarmed. But Jesus said, don't be alarmed. Even when nations rise against nations, earthquakes, famines, it seems strange for him to say, don't be alarmed, doesn't it? I mean, these are alarming things. These are really disturbing events. What does Jesus mean, don't be alarmed? Now, Jesus is not saying, do nothing. He is not saying that. I mean, there are, there are numerous verses about how we are to do good. We just don't freak out about it every time we hear of these things, the wars, earthquakes, famines, that, that it means that it's Jesus is right around the corner. We don't know that. He might be, no one knows, but we don't freak out about these things. If we look back into history, back in AD 70, something very tragic happened. And people would have thought back then that Jesus is coming back at this time. If anything, he would be coming back here. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But these sorts of things are happening in our world today, and yet we don't know when he's returning. There are things that may be signs, but it's the beginning of birth pains, and the beginning of birth pains can, can last a while. World history has never experienced peace absence of earthquakes, famines, ever. And these birth pains, we, we don't know how long they take place. The, the pains are signs of something greater to come. 
And at the end of those birth pains comes something really glorious. This, this baby. And I was trying to think of a word that would describe that event, and it's really hard for me to, but one word that came to my mind was overjoyed. You know, you're just overjoyed from that experience. But even though those of you who have had children are overjoyed, I have never, ever, ever heard when I've done a hospital visit or even attended my own children's birth, I've never heard of a woman saying, could I have another contraction? Like, I've, I've never heard that. Like, oh, you know what, those felt kind of good. Can I have another? Like, just never. See, at the beginning of those birth pains, a woman in labor really doesn't know how long they're going to last. And Jesus says, but be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. So the first thing he says is, see that no one leads you astray. The second thing is, do not be alarmed. And then the third thing is, be on your guard. Just really, really practical words. Now, be on your guard. It's kind of odd for us to think this because we haven't been beaten in synagogues, nor have we had to stand before governors and kings. But this is speaking of persecution. This is speaking of suffering for Jesus' sake. <clears throat> and we do know that there have been many martyrs. Many have suffered. Many persecuted back from the early church until this very day. And we are to be on guard. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Now this, this verse here, verse 10, has been interpreted in a bunch of ways. But in this context, what is verse 10 talking about? See, we, we need to interpret in context, and we need to find it after Jesus said to be on your guard. And then it's this verse, and then the gospel must be first proclaimed to all nations, and then it goes into verse 11. When they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious. So what is this verse about? Well, let's look at the beginning. It all started in verse 1, chapter 13. The disciples were fascinated with the stones. They were fascinated with these buildings. Jesus told them that those buildings were, were going to be toppled. There will be no longer a temple because God will no longer inhabit that place. God will inhabit his people. God will be found in his followers. And those who follow God will inhabit the gospel that will go forth to all nations. Those who bring the gospel to all nations are going to be persecuted. This, this gospel will be for all nations, not just the Jews. And, and that's what happened in the early church. And the gospel continues to go to the nations today. Verse 11, and, they will, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. The gospel can break up the most intimate of relationships. And before we get too judgmental on the gospel, let's consider how our most intimate relationships can break up the most intimate relationship with God. This breakup has happened to many throughout the world where, where many have been led astray. Jesus' first instruction in this chapter was, see that no one leads you astray. And even our closest relationships can lead us astray. 
and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, how do we endure to the end? We see that no one leads us astray. We are not alarmed. We are on our guard. When, we don't know. We just know that we have to endure until the end to be saved. We must endure till the end, not just at the beginning, not in the middle of this race. We have to finish this race, endure till the end. Don't be pulled away. Keep going. Don't get caught up in all this stuff that doesn't matter and it misses the bigger picture. That temple talk in the first verses of chapter 13 was what started this conversation. Then we get into the details of the end times. And then when when, when there are some very clear instructions here from Jesus, and, and then Jesus said something interesting in verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now what is going on here? Because right in verse 13 he said, endure to the end, and then verse 14 says, flee to the mountains. Like It, it just doesn't seem like it's, Harmonious. Now, before we get too far into explaining this, we need to look at the last verse we have for, for this morning, verse 23. Let's just take a look there. Just jump forward a little bit. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. So Jesus told these things to them so that they could understand it later. They're, they're not going to understand it now. It's going to make more sense later. So Jesus forewarned them so that they would not be completely lost when this stuff was happening. And this is what Jesus said in John 13, verse 19. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. And he does this several times. John 14, verse 29. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it takes place, you may believe. 16, verse 1 in John. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. Verse 4. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus gave them more than they could possibly understand in their present but their understanding would open up to them later. What Jesus taught them about the future would make so much more sense after the fact. Things like this are happening to us today when we don't understand what's going on in our lives, we don't understand what's going on in our world, but they will make much more sense later. Our present doesn't just apply to what's happening right in front of us right now. Our present has implications to our future, and our present makes so much more sense in light of our past, and some things will only make sense in the future. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, Paul wrote, for now we see in the mirror dimly, but then in the future face-to-face. -face. Things are going to make a lot more sense. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So the things Jesus talked about in chapter 13 have these historical elements to them, and they also have these future elements to them that have still not happened, and I'll give you an example of this in a little bit as we unpack verse 14. Verse 14 
talks about the abomination of desolation. And I think Matthew's account of this provides a little bit more meat for us to chew on. So let's look at Matthew's account on this. Matthew 24, verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place. We read Matthew's account here because that holy place is what Mark's making reference to when he mentions standing where he ought not to be. Matthew also lets us know where this term abomination of desolation comes from. It comes from the prophet Daniel. So let's turn to Daniel. Daniel chapter 11, verses 31 and 32 is written this. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Now, here's the example that I'm going to provide back from 70 AD. The, there are other historical abominations of desolations that take place. And one of them took place in 168 B.C., in 168 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes tried overpowering the Jews by this show of sacrifice of a pig in the temple and then putting the statue of Zeus in the temple and forcing Jews to worship Zeus. So these first, Christian, first century Christians, most of them Jews, were, were very familiar with this historical abomination of desolation. They were all very familiar with what happened in 168 B.C. And so it happened before, and this gospel was written after that occurrence. And Jesus was saying that there's more of this abomination of desolation to come. It didn't just happen in 168 B.C., and that's the end of it. It's not just this one-time event. It's actually personified in, in the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, verse 14, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So this abomination of desolation was an actual physical event. It's not just an idea. It's the very spirit of the Antichrist, that which is anti-God, to be physically manifested. And when Jesus said, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, he was instructing those who were there experiencing that very physical event to flee. That, that was the shorter term future Jesus addressed. It was, it was something that was going to happen relatively soon. And we see this destruction happen in 70 AD. And so... Here are the following verses. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. So endure in verse 13, but then in verse 14, flee? Yes. Yes, be, be committed to the faith, but, but don't be all crazy about like buildings and temples and, and these things. Endure for the gospel, but not for the temple's sake. So make a run when the temple comes down, run. You don't have to stick around to watch this thing fall. The gospel's within you. The gospel and God is not in that. So, so leave. Now, Jewish historian Josephus recorded 
a lot of these details in his, in his books. It's a series of books, The War of the Jews. And he's not the only, only one. There's also a Greek historian, Eusebius, who recorded this flight to Pella before the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, a, a Greek historian. And, and the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in AD 7 didn't fulfill the prophecy completely. And, here, and so we have these very reputable historians, Eusebius, a Greek historian. We have Josephus, uh, a Jewish historian. And, and let me just pull out uh, a summary for you because it's all in book five, which is 13 chapters long and obviously can't read all of this for you. So I'm going to summarize parts of this book for you of what the Jewish historian Josephus wrote during this time or about this time. The Roman army killed 10,000s of Jews in the outlying cities of Jerusalem. They sieged Jerusalem, and the people within it fought one another for food since all food supply was cut off. Famine set in, and it killed whole houses and families. Cannibalization took place for some. The city was full of dead bodies of the weak, while those who could fight fought over food. The noise of fighting never stopped day and night, and neither did the mourning of others. The dead bodies were left in the city, stacked up on one another, causing diseases and more death. People started mercy killing so that their families wouldn't have to go through the suffering. Men with the consent of their families would kill their parents, children, wives, and then themselves. Jews who snuck out of the city wall to find food were captured, tortured, and crucified by the Roman army. There was a night when 500 were crucified on trees around the city so that trees had multiple bodies crucified on them. The bodies were left to be eaten by animals. In 70 AD, the Roman army flooded the city, killing the remaining Jews. 97,000 of them were taken captive and sold cheaply to places like Egypt, back into bondage. At the end of the siege, 1.1 million dead Jews, none of which were buried, but eaten by wild animals. That was a historical abomination of desolation in AD 70. You know, none of this is made up. But that did not fulfill the full prophecy. That was that present time. There is still an abomination of desolation to come. There's still more tribulation to come. <laughs> Verse 19. For in those days there will be such tribulation as not had been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. There was what happened in 70 AD, 1.1 million Jews murdered, slaughtered. And who could possibly think that it could get worse than that? How could it? How could there possibly be a tribulation worse than that? And yet only several decades ago, there was the Holocaust. Over six million Jews killed. And so it begs the question, how could these horrible things happen before God? How, how could God allow these things to happen? 
Now, before we go on blaming God for these things, I need to point out that that is what non-belief looks like. That's where it leads. See, non-belief, it leads to this death. And this is what looking for one's own God looks like. Looking for one's own Savior. It leads to death. And the past several thousand, thousands of years are evidences that we are not inherently good people. Verse 20, And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. See, God interceded, and if he didn't, it would have been much worse. He preserved a remnant. And God forewarns us about these false Christs, these false prophets to come. And, if, and then if anyone says to you, verse 21, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. So this abomination of desolation, this tribulation, false Christs, false prophets. And after all that, the instruction is this. Be on guard. Verse 23, but be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand, just like he did his disciples. He's telling these things all in their present so that when they experience it in the future, it makes sense. And he's telling us the same thing. Be on your guard. And all these things will make sense even more so when they happen. We will always have difficulties, challenges. But there's hope. See, our hope is that no matter what is happening in the world, God is sovereign. God is with us. He's present with us. Jesus has forewarned us. And it goes all the way back to Genesis 3, verse 15, right? The very first book of the Bible, it's written, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And at the core of darkness, at the core of evil, is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And our hope is also in here. It's, it's Jesus. No matter what is going on in the world, God is sovereign. He is in control. He is interceding. Otherwise, it would be a lot worse than it is. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Lord, um, over and over again we can see history and how it does indeed point to you that what you have said and what you have taught is indeed true. We pray, God, that we don't just listen to these things as stories, but, God, that we're able to process them in such a way that they bring about true transformation, that gaining knowledge and gaining historical knowledge and even feeling a little twinge inside of our heart that things aren't right between us and you May it not stop there. May it go past. May we endure till the end. In Jesus' name, amen.